Well, hello, hello. My name is Todd, and you're listening to Open Jam. Today's episode is actually the very first episode, so congratulations to us. Um, and I am joined by Josh Brock. Now, Josh and I recorded this quite a bit before today, uh, actually pre-shutdown, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, Josh's band, 90 Proof Twang, has uh, accomplished a lot in 10 years, and if nothing else, it's that they keep going. And I think that's a, a key that uh, you, you'll get to know Josh a little bit better today. Uh, hopefully see that. Um, on October 8th, Josh and Nighty Per Twang, uh, they will be headlining a show at River's Edge. That's with Dallas Moore and Jim Burns Band. That is October 8th. Um, at the very end of today's podcast, Josh sings a song called Good Day. Listen to his voice. Do I need to know any specific dates? Do you remember the first time you played at River's Edge? Yeah. So I was the first show. I was the first band eight years ago. So we're already here. Okay, we're fine. Are you ready to so that that was going to be one of the things I wanted to talk about was cool. the first time that you played River's Edge. Yeah. And if you can take us back to like either one. I remember it so well. Tell me. Well, we were playing and there was like a. Um, it had like one of those. The camper trailer, like the show trailer that still being used was in front of the courthouse and we opened up for Ryan Brochier and like 90 Proof Twang had just kind of started and uh, like Cornette was in the band and Dave called me to do all that so we started and then um, Bob Huff and Beef were in the band and that was like it was the first concert of the concert series mm -hmm. of that was before it was River's Edge I think that was just like music downtown kind of ish or yeah, that was that was the first one. So go back to um, Beef and Bob. Yeah. And Dave, how long had you been together before you played the first time at River's Edge? Oh man, we had been together maybe maybe a year. Okay. Maybe a year. Yeah. It all it seems like it was so long ago, and it, it wasn't, but it seems like it was. And uh, I mean, that was the first core group. So. Yeah, it had been about a year, and we were doing all the bars and all that fun stuff and just starting to pick up festivals and stuff like that and, like, you know, the Catholic festivals during the summertime and all that fun stuff. And then uh, got and I got the call to do that one, and it, it was awesome. It was really fun, and then done it every year since. Yeah. Yeah. So that's every year since makes it eight years now? This, yeah. This will be the eighth year? Eight years running. Nine years? Yeah, nine years. I think it's been almost... It's like nine, so I'll be 30, and I feel like there was, when everything was starting, I was 21, or I remember a few shows where I wasn't, like, old enough to drink at the bars we were playing at. Interesting. So, yeah. So your your band has been resilient, mm -hmm. meaning there's been change. A lot I mean, of change. You've, yeah, you've had how many guitar players? I would look at Four. Go ahead and Probably tell me who they were four. again. We have Cornette. So Cornette and then um, Johnny A played. And then um, I think Patrick came in after Johnny A, so it's three. So three? Yeah, and Patrick has been the longest cat running. And yeah. Since. And all three were amazing. Yeah. And bass players, so you had Beef to start with and now. So I had Beef and then after Beef, um, Steve Hammonds, who has passed, unfortunately. And uh, so I had Steve for a while, and then our friend Chris Sarvak, 
And now um, Drew Phillips is playing. How long has Drew been with you? Drew's been with us, I feel like, a year now. You play so many shows, like, you don't realize how long it is until you start asking me about it. Now I'm like, I don't even know. Yeah, so Drew's, I would say, a year at least, maybe more. Yeah, maybe more. And then the first change, and, you know, sadly, when Bob passed away, that was the beginning of, of, that ushered in a lot of change. Yeah, I mean, that was the beginning of, hey, this is different. Um, So Bob passed away super unexpectedly. We were actually recording. um, And Bob passed away while we were at, we were waiting on him to show up to the studio, literally. And we got a phone call and it was, it was awful. And then there was a lot, uh, a few weeks of just, do I want to keep doing this? Do we want to keep doing this? Is this something that, like, is this the end of it? Or... Do you keep pushing on? And then after talking to so many people and um, I don't know how many people came and supported after Bob had passed away and said, if you don't keep playing music and doing this, like, I don't think he would be happy. Mm-hmm. And that that's a uh, that's a lot to take in. Well, you and you dedicate every show. You got to man. Like he was our first drummer. And then, yeah, like, absolutely. And then now with Steve Hammonds was our, our bass player and he passed away as well. So. Over that period of time, and I'm, I was the youngest guy in the band by a lot when it started, like the youngest, and like learning so many aspects of how this even works, being, you know, 2021, 20, trying to figure out how a band even works. Cause I just played bluegrass with dad and his buddies. So mm-hmm. that was like, that was nothing compared to like plugging stuff in and doing like performances like that. And uh, yeah, it was, it was different. It's, it's very weird to say that I've, lost two band members in that time but it's real especially at I a mean, young age too. being 30 years old that that's yeah, a, that's, that's a lot of people different. in your life to like, lose I, yeah especially that close because a, a band is a family your brothers mm-hmm. like you're so close so not to leave the drummers out but we went through all the other members and the changes so yeah. from bob then what did you do well bob and then brother pete davidson filled in for a while and then um dustin crank played for a while and um Connor, man, then Connor came in and Connor did a lot. Like, I did a ton of songwriting with Connor because him and I grew a very hard bond. Connor and I did just because um, we were the exact same age, graduated in the same year of high school. We actually went to rival high schools in Indiana, so we knew each other. And um, so he hung around forever and we had such a good time. And then, due to, you know, work stuff and being gone all the time, I mean, he was living in Indy. And it's not easy to be here playing three nights a week. And uh, so um, Connor had to go back and then um, picked up, after Connor, picked up Aaron Roy. And then Aaron played with us for a while. Then Andrew Gray, Gray was the last one with us. And now we have Eric May Laban, who's, who's our dude right now. And he's doing a great job, like doing an absolute great job. I mean... Drummers are guys of their own. It's it's a whole other world for drummers. Man. I commend you for getting all those names. I correct. think I was in I mean, orders. It, yeah, that's pretty darn good. <laughs> Each guy's great. brought something, you know. I'm digging back in my mind, but it all happens so fast because, you know, somebody asked you like, "Where did you play this gig?" or like, "Have you played at this bar before? Have you played at this festival before?" And you'd be like, "I'd be like, no, I've never played there. I don't know." And then you show up and you're like. I've played here before, absolutely. <laughs> it's just you play, you know, four nights a week. It's hard to remember. All right, so, there, so you have a, you've had a lot of change. 
A lot. And, and there's been one constant, and it's been Josh Brock. But yes. there's other constants. What What else would you say has been there the whole time? Um, I think the biggest constant for the band is, you know, me wanting to create the best music possible. Um, I have a passionate love for country music, mm-hmm. and that's one thing that stuck throughout me a lot. I I I love country. So music. when did that begin? Loving country music. Yeah. Since I was little, I can't remember when. <laughs> yeah, that's due to my father. I mean, I grew up playing bluegrass and listening to country music and riding around in the car with him and listening to all those. Yeah, all those old, old styles, like the good stuff, man. So there there seems to be this connection between country music and trucks. There's a truth to um, a good old pickup truck in the country, in country music, if you will. So what what era truck is the country music that you first... For me? That you first started to dig. Okay, so my favorite... Um, truck would be a 1972 um, Chevrolet C10. You're a Chevy, Chevy I'm a Chevy guy because my dad had one. Yeah, my dad had one. I would have been, I would have been 14 when he got it, and he let me drive it around all the time. And um, I would listen to songs with him in that truck. It was silver. It was a long bed, 350. I love that truck. It's still my favorite truck to this day. I, I want one again. And. Uh, yeah, it was just an old truck, and you listen to music in it. Or whether it, whether it was an old truck or an old car, it was something about, for me, and how old I am, I'm 30, so it was like a cassette tape. Because mm-hmm. that, that was up. Like, for me, it was cassette tapes. So what kind of music was in that uh, cassette player? Um, always George Jones and Keith Whitley, Merle Haggard, and then you could go on a little bit afterwards. Um, I would also ride around my grandma all the time, and she had like a, uh, it would have been like a 92 Cadillac. And she always had Brooks and Dunn's greatest hits inside that. And it, that was all that was the only tape that was ever in that car. And when I would ride around with her, boot scootin' boogie and brand new mint, like that was on that. And so that was just engraved. That's what I listened to. Where do, where does Garth Brooks sit in your life? Garth Brooks sits in me honestly hardcore because I remember being I'd have to it's hard to put the years together, but there was a uh, a CD of like Garth Brooks' greatest hits, and it was his face, and there was like an American flag on his face, and I remember getting it at a yard sale <laughs> <laughs> with my dad, and I wore it out. I promise I'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wore it out. Yeah, I rem- I remember that CD like I'm holding it. Yeah, just the American flag, like it was black and white and kind of blue, and the stars and stripes were on his face. It was cool. Awesome. Well, we're going to take a quick short break. We're with Josh Brock from 90 Proof Twang. Please stick around. Right on. You seem to have two influences that, in my opinion, uh, really changed the face of country music in two totally different generations. Mm-hmm. Um, one being Garth Brooks, which yep. I think he is the 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 kiss of country music. He is the entertainment yeah. value of country music yes. and is taking it to the level that it has been. And there's been changes, and I'm sure there's a future that is you know going to be totally different than what it was in the past. Just As like always. It always is. Yeah. Yes. And then the other one being Waylon Jennings. Yes. It's not just Waylon Jennings in itself, you know. It's it's Johnny Cash 
and it's Merle Haggard, and it's Chris Christopherson. You could say the Highwaymen, if you will, but mm-hmm. all those Willie Nelson, like those cats who kind of rebelled against what they were told they had to play, or like you know, some you have to do this, or you have to play it this way, or you're you can't do it. And they're like, well, it's music. I'm gonna play it how I want to, and I there's got to be some people like me who enjoy that. So do you do you know the um like the Neil Russian uh, impact on Waylon Jennings? I don't. So like he was a New York manager okay. who got involved in Waylon Jennings' career. And he was actually uh, the manager of like the Velvet Underground, some other New York bands, um, uh, Willie Nelson. Oh, wow. So he found, like, so he saw that in Waylon Jennings and mm. saw like what he wanted to play versus what the establishment right. would allow him to play. In quotes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're but, so right. But there. the point is like that has really... Uh, created something that's that's still here today, that outlaw country or just that vibe of country music. And and I feel like sometimes, man, when when you hear outlaw country, like I love Wayne and James. I think some people take out the outlaw side of country and and like you have to be crazy and party hard or however that works, and that's fine. Like you can do that, but I I just feel like the word outlaw for me would represent just doing what makes you happy and doing what. I want to do this. I'm going to play it my way. Like you don't have to like it by mm-hmm. any means. I'm doing, I'm doing it for me. I mean, I enjoy it. So if you don't like it, that's fine. You don't have to like it. But if somebody else does, that's awesome. I'm into that. Do you have like you know one or two um, like primary influences, or is it country music based off the the interpretation of bluegrass? Is it? I would say like my. Patrick, our guitar player, and I were just talking about this the other day. Like, you know, what's X about? Because he's he's an old Van Halen dude, and he loves all these old rock and roll stuff that I don't really know a lot about, and that's fine. I don't know a lot about. He's taught me a lot about it. And um, man, for me, like, the dude for me would would be Keith Whitley. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, short lived. He he was like thirty, thirty one, and. Uh, but grew up in a bluegrass style atmosphere. Like grew up playing festivals with J.D. Crow and, and old school cats that originated bluegrass music and came through those festivals. And a lot of that has to do with my dad because my dad played full time bluegrass music for almost twenty years with a group called the Isaacs, and he played with Jimmy Martin and he played with Dave Evans. and And I grew up playing banjo for my dad, so obviously he's going to influence me a lot. And then. Introduced me to Keith Whitley. He'd ran into Keith Whitley a lot of times at, at these festivals and stuff. And he kind of transitioned his bluegrass th- career to this country career. And just the way he transitioned bluegrass into country, I appreciate beyond belief. Like, that makes sense to me. And that that's what I love. I'm a, I'm a major fan of Vince Gill and how he, he can play anything, but he can play bluegrass. And he loves that old stuff like... I guess all my roots originated hardcore bluegrass and then um then came into nineties country like Shenandoah, Marty Stewart, like that late eighties, early nineties, man. I love it so much. So were you raised near a jukebox? No. 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 No, just with dad. Yeah, I wasn't like he had some records and stuff, but um like the like I was raised I mean, we went to church to play music. No jukeboxes at church. No jukeboxes at church, man. Yeah, so I was raised um, in church playing music with my dad and his group of older buddies. And um, those are the old cats that influenced me. All my friends in music, 
from the time I started playing, which I can barely remember. My mom taught me how to play like a G chord on a guitar. That was like, you know, the really simple one just with your thumb and your bottom. Yeah, like the really simple one. And then until I was like, you know, 14, 15, 16, I never played music with a dude that was more 30, 40 years older than me. Always. Mm. I was just always with an old group of guys. What was your favorite gospel tune? Oh man, my favorite gospel tune. That's going to be a tough one, man. Like we would do, oh, now you're taking me back. Hardcore. I mean, At first I, re- I made you remember band members. Now you have to remember songs yeah, when you were 10. I have 10. to remember. So I grew up like, uh, it was like a Southern Baptist church. So like, we, obviously Amazing Grace and stuff. Would it have been your favorite because of what you got to play or? Absolutely. Okay. It's because I, was, I wasn't singing a lot of them. I was playing like a banjo and rhythm guitar to that stuff. How many people know you know that you play banjo? Like, is that anything you ever do in your shows? Only at River's Edge a few times. Why don't you do that more often? I need to. And I think, man, it's so hard for me to incorporate playing banjo because I grew up with dad playing bluegrass and that idea of bluegrass is very, it's like strict old bluegrass. That's what he played, you know, like, it's like Southern Baptist Church. Yeah, like, <laughs> <Is it? laughs> like, not, not much like if you don't play it this way, you ain't playing it right. right. And that's, right. but that was no joke. So it's been hard for me to incorporate it with the band and do stuff because with 90 Proof Twang, I, I sing lead and then we're a four piece. So it's so difficult for me to try to play banjo and have like a rhythm guitar and everything else going around. I feel like there's a void or I feel like if I'm not playing traditional bluegrass on my banjo, I'm not playing it yeah. right. And that's if that's weird, yeah, it might you're be. You're cheating. I'm, it's it, yeah, yeah, and it's so it's so soul. hard for me to do. And I guess I grew up so strict on the stylings of bluegrass that I don't necessarily know how to incorporate it. I guess I could if I wanted to, but I don't know if my ear likes so it. So when you're a teenager and you're coming out of, um, you know, out out of church and out of church music, mm-hmm. and as all teenagers do, you start to rebel. Yeah. Did you rebel with country music? Did you rebel with rock and roll? Did you rebel with pop rap? You're 16, 17, getting your license, stuff like that. Like, I'd listen to a ton of Matchbox 20 and stuff like that. Like, I'll turn in, that was my, like, I'd listen to a ton of that. And I didn't listen to a crazy amount of country, but it was still there. Like, I'd play it. Like, if we had bonfires and stuff, I'm still going to play country songs. But it would be, like, kind of what's on the radio, but it wouldn't be super old school country that I knew because none of my buddies quite knew it. Mm -hmm. So I had to find something that we all wanted to listen to to play. So it's it went from ever from alternative like to John Mayer type of stuff. I love John Mayer music, and um, and I listened to hip hop and everything else coming into college. Like I played basketball in college, so I came into that, and you, I just was surrounded by so many different kinds of music that I listened to absolutely everything. I just wasn't playing. And actually, yeah, during all this, I was still playing bluegrass music with my dad. <laughs> so I was just listening to absolutely everything possible. So out of out of all the rap songs that you've listened to or you yeah. enjoy, which rap song would you turn into a country music song? Oh, my gosh. I have no clue, man. Because when I was listening to some rap songs, like we were listening to like Lil Wayne and Young Jeezy and like some really heavy rap music. Because I was, I was playing college basketball with, with all, you know, seniors in college. And they, they're, they're listening to a lot of hip hop and stuff that I never even heard So, so of. give me one. Bust it out. So um, we always did like, I would always do like an acoustic version of the uh, 
Fresh Prince of Bel Air, Bel Air song. Okay. Because that was like that vibe yeah, that I really loved. That's a party yeah. favorite. Yeah. So that made sense. Like it was that vibe. It was wavy. It was cool. I enjoyed it. But yeah, I, I don't even know. Yeah. I listened to some rap songs that were, I still listen to it to this day. Like if I go to the gym or do anything and so work out, go I'll back listen to, to it. Go back to the, uh, the truck and its association or its um, emblematic stance with country music. Okay. I can see. I have a good. I have a good. A good thing with that, and I have a kind of a bad thing with that because I feel like newer today. That's all everybody can think of is yes. a truck and country music and a truck and yes. country music. Which, in to say, it's true. But like, I feel like now sometimes if you have a truck and you listen to country music on your radio, you're just immediately a country a country person. Yes, and that's so. Let me let me. That's ask, not so much. So so do do certain trucks? Yes. Speak like more country than like a modern truck looks more like a I don't like the modern yeah truck, and so man. but at the same time I have one like I have a 2012 um diesel but like I love that truck so but your choice in truck relates to your favorite type of country music I would say so my choice in truck relates I'm just old school in in the fact that I love the simplicity of older things, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Well, which again is a side of country music that people seem to appreciate. Yes, Going I, back to the roots of where it all begins. Right. Country music is obviously in for a, for a promotional aspect and a financial aspect. I mean, it is extremely pop. But then again, there's some of the ones we've mentioned before and, you know, the term quote unquote outlaw country or whatever seems right. to be trying to get into like what a garage country band would play almost like right. where you seem to sit right. a lot of your roots and or the direction of what you do my my sitting is is hard 90s like i'm not one to knock anybody's music ever i appreciate all music all the time but for me and where i like like my country is like 2000 and before i just love like that's like where it just got too much to work on i guess you could say like some of the new trucks are too much to work on it's just there's too many sensors and too much things going on, man. Let's keep it simple. Let's keep it keep it easy. I like that. Yeah, it's it makes sense in my head, at least. You have written music with a lot of lot of different writers. I mean, people locally, people um, from Nashville. Yeah, people I've, with big connections. I I've mean, I've been blessed to write some songs with like some really cool songwriters, and I've. I feel like anybody you're going to write a song with, you're going to learn something. How do you know when you have the hook? It has to grab you. <laughs> in what think, way? Um, in a way that you feel it could grab somebody else. And I mean, if you're writing, if, I, if you're writing by yourself or with two people or three people, it's hard to write with like five people. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of input that comes in. And sometimes your mind, I feel, can't think so straight. Like there's so much going on. Every time, like, I don't know, you've written and stuff, it's, you got to get, alone in your own head and then come together mm-hmm. however that so works. So if you're in Nashville and you're writing and there's four or five people, is that more for efficiency and getting something done versus, you know, putting the perfect dot on the I or the perfect, you know, cross on the T? I think it's it's either or. I think um, for efficiency, it could be good or it could be really bad because there's so much input that you may not get anything done. But at the same time, if you're all on the same exact page, which happens sometimes, you're going to get a lot done really quickly. And I've written songs with probably four or five guys. I feel like Baby I Got This was a song that had five writers. Mm. 
yeah. But it came together. It was like an hour, and it was quick. Tell me after that song was written, the very next day, what did you do all day long? Talked about it, because it was one of the coolest songs. I Hummed it the entire time. Yeah, you couldn't get it out of your head. I think that's a thing, too. Like, if you leave with a song that you've written, it, if it's good, it's in your head. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I'm like any other person who's written songs, I've written a lot of bad songs and forgotten about them because they just, I guess you could say it was an idea because mm -hmm. it didn't stick. Well, it, it gets you to the next idea, perhaps. I, I learn think you could from say, your mistakes, You perhaps. could say that, absolutely. Yeah, but if it, it has to stick. Like, if you're humming it when you leave and you want to sing it or you want to, like... If you're constantly thinking about it, there's something going on with that song that you like. Man, how excited are you to play that song for the first time live? You're excited to show your guys. You're excited to rehearse it. You're excited to have somebody hear it. And what's so much for, for me a lot is because I play a lot of acoustic shows. I mean, it's almost half and half. So you'll go to an acoustic show and not even know the words. And sometimes nobody's really listening. So you're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sneak this in really quick. Hey, guys, I just wrote this song. And then you pull up the lyrics on your phone or your, your paper, whatever it is you have, and you try to get through it. And each time you do it, mm -hmm. it sounds better. Or you're like, okay, I like this. I don't like this. This is going to work. This isn't going to work. And then it just keeps going. And then one of your band guys hear it, and he's like, yay, that's cool. Let's, let's do this. And then the band gets together and does it. And then next thing you know... You got a song that's cool. <laughs> so you or sometimes not. <laughs> right. Well, there are mistakes. Yeah, for sure. So, so with country music, you have um, obviously more so than, than maybe any other genre, but a real focus on songwriting, which is telling a story more than anything. Would you agree? I agree absolutely 100%. Um, like, I love songs. There's so many songs that catch me. Like I said, I listen to so many genres of music. And, um, but... My favorite is a song that tells a story. Sometimes a song that doesn't have the same chorus one time or doesn't even rhyme. But you take me somewhere mm -hmm. and I can see it. And the best thing that I've ever heard, what when we were songwriting, it's, you know, look at the lyrics you have down and don't sing them. Don't have your guitar. Just read it as if you were reading a book or you're reading something. And then if you can read it to yourself, totally normal, and it makes sense, you're telling a story. Mm. Sometimes it rhymes, sometimes it doesn't, but that doesn't matter because you're telling a story. So if I can read it and I can put that story to music, that's awesome. That's well said. Because so many of the songs that I love, like I said, I'm passionate about Keith Whitley. And almost all of his songs, a lot of them are heartbreaking, a lot of them aren't. But it takes you on a ride, and you're like, okay, where are we going this time? And you, you can... You can see the music video in your head. That's one thing I don't like to do a lot of times. I've watched numerous music videos of songs and it changed my whole idea of the song because I watched the music video and I didn't like it as much mm -hmm. as I did before. I'm sure you've had that, haven't sure. you? Because it's somebody else's idea. Of yeah. it. And if, if you're telling a story and you can perceive it as your own, that's awesome. So that's back to more of a personal relationship with that music and that song. But again... Seems like what you try to deliver when you play, and we mentioned earlier about you know the, the one person who's not digging it, and you're going to make sure that you have that connection with that person, right? You know, or the person who is digging it, right. and you're making sure you have that connection, right? Like, like that, that seems to be a common thread in either how you do what you do or why you do what you do. I want some emotions to be involved. That's like cool. You want you feel the music, but for me, 
and and the music that I've grown up with and the music I love, lyrics are a very, very big deal. And that's why I think I'm hard on myself sometimes about songwriting. And, like, I'll have ideas and stuff, and I'll put them down. And I'm like, eh, no. And anybody, somebody, you know, they'd say, hey, that's a cool, that's a cool idea. Why didn't you do that? Or why didn't you finish that? To me, I didn't see... But maybe somebody else did. But for me, I didn't see mm-hmm. the picture. I didn't see the story. I, I it just it. Well, that's where you need those other four or five guys to, <laughs> right? to edit what you're yeah. doing. All right. Well, we'll get out of here. Josh, I cool, greatly man. appreciate your time. Thanks again for coming on. I've had an absolute blast. So thank you. All right. Cheers. What's this one called? It's called On a Good Day.
before the sun set And maybe in the morning I just might get over you yet On a good day I can keep my inner demons at bay Dude, you have a you have an audience. I know. I didn't even see her there till I just looked up. Is that brand new? It's new. I've written it about a year ago. Play yeah. it, play it every every show. No, it's never played out. Nobody I, hears it. I like that story. <laughs> okay. All right, thanks again, Josh. Yeah, thank you.